Well, good morning, everybody. And I want to say a special welcome to all of you who are watching us online and sharing with us today. And what a privilege it is for us to not only be able to gather together for song and for prayer, but also to get to go to the garden of God's word and to be able to explore what God has to teach each and every one of us. Today, I'm excited for this message and this part of our Ephesians series, but I wanna begin with a story. It's a true story of a couple by the name of Fred and Cheryl who had a heart for children. They had two teenage boys, but they had always wanted to adopt. They had a heart for the country of Haiti and the midst of the poverty that was there. And there was a young girl by the name of Addie who was five years old whose parents tragically died in an automobile accident, leaving Addie with no family at all. Working through the adoption agency, they were able to bring her to the United States. They traveled down to go and to be with her and to do all of the paperwork and bringing her to the United States. In fact, Fred describes the moment that his heart exploded was the moment when they walked off of the tarmac as they were getting off the plane into the United States and little five-year-old Addie's hand reached up and clasped his for support and comfort. Well, they had planned a great welcome that night in their home. And in this home, they had an abundance of food. They had a big table set with pork chops and mashed potatoes and green beans. Little Addie had never seen that much food in all of her life. And with those two teenage boys at the table, they ravenously ate and consumed everything at the table. And little Addie ate and she ate gingerly. And then she was amazed as all of the food disappeared. And Cheryl, her new mother, could tell that Addie was a little sad and a little afraid. And she started to figure out what it was. Addie had never seen that much food in her life and she was afraid that that was a big celebration and that there wasn't now gonna be food for a week or maybe longer because that had been her experience. And so Cheryl took her young daughter by the hand, took her into the kitchen and opened up the walk-in pantry and opened up all of the cupboards so that she could see all of the food. Addie's eyes were like saucers as she took in all of the abundance. And then Cheryl said this to her new daughter. She said, no matter how much those big boys eat, there will be more. You are home, you are part of us. There is enough and more to spare. You will never go hungry again. Imagine what it was like for that little girl who had grown up in such poverty and with such scarcity to all of a sudden encounter the riches of a new way of life. At the heart of the gospel is an invitation. And at the heart of that invitation is for you and I to be a part of a new kind of family. And this is not a family of scarcity. It is a, it is a family of abundance. It is greater than we can ask or even imagine which reminds me of the movie Star Wars. It reminds me of the important scene where Princess Leia is having to convince Han Solo to get engaged. And, you know, she talks about how she can pay him, make him rich. And he says, how rich? And richer than he could even imagine is what Luke Skywalker cajoles him into thinking. And Han Solo famously says, I don't know, I can imagine quite a lot. Well, his smuggler's mind, Han Solo, cannot imagine the riches, not so much of fame and of fortune, 
but the riches of adventure, the riches of a mission and a purpose greater than himself, and the riches of love and of family. This is the invitation that he was given, and it's just but a glimpse of the invitation of what we're given in the gospel. It is greater than all that we can ask or even imagine. We're in the midst of a series of messages in the book of Ephesians. We're walking through this incredible letter to be able to discover the harmony that is found on the other side of hostility. And we've discovered how the book of Ephesians is divided into kind of two halves. The first three chapters is all about finding true peace. And then the second half of the letter is all about keeping the peace or maintaining the peace. This is the last portion of chapter three, what we're going to look at today. And so this is the culmination and the climax of what it means to find true peace. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray out of his glorious riches that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, when my daughter Danica was just big enough to graduate from the back seat to the front seat of the car, her feet dangling and barely touching the floorboards of the automobile. I remember I picked her up from school one day and I asked her kind of the standard question that all kinds of parents ask their kids when they, you know, are done with school, you know, well, what did you learn today? And you usually hear about different things like math and science and reading. And this time Danica talked about how she learned something about the love of God. And I said, really, what did you learn about the love of God? And she said, she said, you know, it's not so much that God's love is invisible. She said, it's that it's so big that it's something that we can't even really take in. And I'm like, can you explain to me? Can you give me an example of this? And she's like, yeah, it's like, Papa, imagine you're an ant and you're trying to describe a human being. Or she said, imagine you're a person, but you're standing before a really big mountain, but you're standing right up close. It's so big, you can't see it. It's not really invisible. It's just that it's so big. You know, it's humbling being a pastor and having master's degrees and doctorate degree and all these kinds of things and then being schooled in the art of the love of God by your own daughter. But she had something that was right on point, that there is something about the vastness of the love of God that we can barely and scarcely take it in. He truly is greater than all that we ask or even imagine. Today, I want to take a few moments to describe for you the scope of the four dimensions of the love of God that the Apostle Paul talks about in the first one is that he's wide enough 
to include, that God's love is wide enough to include. And this is the portion of the text I want to focus in on for this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom, and it's every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every single family. There's a true story of this man here. His name is Derek Black. And he was caught up in a family system and in a culture that was destructive. He grew up in the midst of the South and his family members were involved in the KKK. His godfather was David Duke. Well, eventually, Derek Black went to college, and even though he had participated in all kinds of rallies and had written on his own for newspapers and things like that, nobody at college knew about his family and knew about his convictions and knew about the racism that was in his heart. He got to college and got through most of his first year without anybody knowing it, but he reported that moment at two o'clock in the morning when his phone started erupting and He had discovered that somebody had outed him online and that they had discovered his true identity. All of his classmates began to isolate him and to to cancel him and to, you know, to, to basically make sure that he knew that he wasn't welcome. Everybody on the campus treated him that way except for one person, the only Orthodox Jew on the campus, a man by the name of Matthew Stevenson. Here's a picture of them gathering together, and they do so around a Sabbath meal, a Shabbat celebration. Week after week, Matthew kept inviting Derek to come and to sit and to eat and to celebrate with them. And over the course of those celebrations, over the course of those meals, Derek's heart began to change. He wrote this. He said, It wasn't the first time that someone had told me that racism is bad. It was just the first time that I had been willing to listen to it. Why was he willing to listen to it? Because he had been included. He had been accepted. That young Orthodox Jew, Matthew, knew something that a lot of us forgot. And that is, is that the arms of the love of God are open wide to anyone, that God loves us exactly as we are and not as we should be, and that the love of God is so great that it refuses to leave us the way that we are. How wide, how long, how high, how deep, but first, how wide is that love of God? And do we live with that kind of mindset that our tables and our lives are open to include and welcome anyone because every family has its origin in God. And so first we discover that the love of God is wide enough to include. Secondly, we discover in the gospel that it is long enough to endure. This is what the text tells us, to him, meaning Christ, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever every generation, on into eternity. We have to have a big picture when it comes to our faith. When I was working in Houston, Texas, I worked for Pastor Vic, beloved senior pastor of this church. 
And Vic, whenever I'd go into his office, I would either go out with a reading assignment, but more often than not, I was given a book and it was given to me and I would read. I often told people that I read more in my first couple of years in seminary working for Vic, or coming out of seminary working for Vic rather, than actually that I read in seminary. And I remember one time I went into his office to ask him a question that had absolutely nothing to do with church history. And I ended up with this book, Walking Out. Vic had handed me uh, one of his favorite historical writers at the time. Uh, Mark Knoll had written a fantastic book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And Vic had handed me a new publication called Turning Points. This is the actual book that he gave me and he told me to, to look at it. And so I looked through this book and it, in a very short order, gives you the scope of all of church history. You know, the most common question that I get today out and when I'm grocery shopping or out and about in the world, the most common question that I get today is, are you worried about the church? Are you concerned that the church might not be able to make it. They mean that both in the sense of Petrie in particular, but also the church in general. And it's funny when I get this question because I just smile and I think of Vic and that scope of history. And I don't do this, but what I really want to do is to say, am I worried about the church? Am I worried about the church that was started in the midst of tragedy? A church that very quickly in Jerusalem experienced the destruction of the temple and them having to be scattered? Am I worried about the church who actually, you know, walked through just decades of persecution in the Roman Empire? Am I worried about the church that struggled amidst all of these councils to try to wrestle and understand with the true identity of Christ? Am I worried about the church at the collapse of the Roman Empire when everything civilized seemed to unravel and to fall apart? Am I worried about the church as Christians had to flee into monastic communities and to hide in order to preserve the faith? Am I worried about the church through years of struggle and the loss of civilization and the consolidation of power under Charlemagne when there was now incredible co-opting and corruption within the church? Am I worried about the church that was split in 1054 with the Great Schism? Am I worried about the church as they went through the Dark Ages and that time where there were even incredible plagues where at one point half of Europe died in four short years? Am I worried about the church through times of reformation and counter-reformation and Catholics and Protestants, the infighting of the church where the church was literally killing herself? Am I worried about the church that was given through revolution and bloody civil wars and even world wars? Am I worried about the church today? No, I'm not worried about the church today. And the reason that I'm not worried about the church today is that that promise has held true that forever and ever through every generation, what we know is that the gospel continues to shine. It is long enough to endure. And so the love of God is wide enough to include. It's long enough to endure. And it's also high enough to inspire. The short scripture that I think captures this is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, when you put your trust in Christ, he comes to live 
within you. Bob Goff tells the true story of a couple by the name of Kelly and Craig. Kelly and Craig Perkins were very active people, young adults were, who he describes as the kind of people that would go to the gym and then come home for a long run so they can do their real workout. They were the kind of people who were not only active physically, but active socially and engaged in their community. One day, Kelly discovered that um, she was unusually tired and her heart was racing even though she was resting. At first, the doctors thought that she was having a panic attack of some sort, but after further investigation, they discovered that she had a very rare infection that had actually destroyed the insides of her heart. And that in a very short order, if she wasn't given a new heart, that she wasn't going to survive. She needed a heart transplant. On the East Coast, because they lived in Southern California, there was a woman by the name of Alice. Alice's true passion was riding horses and on a terrible horse riding accident, Alice's brain became irreparably damaged, but her body was intact. Her heart was transferred from the East Coast to Southern California and through a remarkable surgery was placed inside Kelly's body. You can imagine the complexity of a surgery like that, not just in getting all the tubes and the plumbing working, but also the electrical and the nerve side of how things work with a heart. In fact, her doctor told her that she was going to have to learn how to speak to her heart. Well, after she started to recover, Kelly and her husband were so amazed by this new gift of life. They were so inspired that they began to do this activity. They began to climb. They climbed mountain after mountain in order to raise awareness for people to do organ donation. Here's a picture of them on the top of an incredible peak. They've done this all over the world. Kelly continued to struggle with the emotional impact of the fact that another person's heart lived within her. And her husband, Craig, was actually contacted by the daughter of Alice and that on one of their climbs, he had brought with him Alice's ashes that they had laid to rest on the top of one of those mountains. Kelly and Craig have given their life not only to do it well, but they've given their life for others to know what is possible through the inspiration of doing what is right. And so I love to hear story after story about what God does in people's hearts when we learn to trust him. Wide enough to include, long enough to endure, high enough to inspire, deep, deep enough to empower. The scripture that Paul uses here is this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to comprehend, to understand. You know, the word that repeats over and over again in today's passage is the word power. In, in the original Greek, that's the word dunamis, which is where we get our English word for this, for dynamite. 
In other words, there's something explosive about the true power and love of Almighty God. That you may have the power, that you may have the power according to his power that is at work within you. You and I have this power, the same power, Paul says, that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is available to us. The question is, through the power of the Holy Spirit, do we tap into that power? Or do we live differently as if that power didn't exist? Dear friend in this church and a great business leader, a guy by the name of Tim Irwin has written a book called Extraordinary Influence. And in this book, he talks about the deconstructive, deconstruction of constructive criticism. And he tells this story at the beginning of his book. It's the story of him and his wife, Anne, and their two boys, and how Tim was being asked to speak at an international conference. And they discovered that only for a little bit more money that they could actually go, and they could go kind of like on a family vacation first, kind of at the beginning. So the airfare was basically going to be a wash. And then they wanted to always go to the country of Portugal. But what they discovered, by the time they had already made their plane tickets and couldn't change their plane tickets, and they were trying to grab a hotel room, they discovered that all of the hotels were incredibly expensive. And so they got a hotel in Lisbon and Portugal, but it was way more money than they wanted to spend or that they really had. And so Tim and Anne discovered how much this was and Anne had pulled down, she had a solution, she had pulled down out of the attic the old blue suitcase. And the blue suitcase was gonna be dedicated to be filled with all kinds of food that they could eat while they were at the hotel. In other words, they were gonna save money by staying at the hotel, but they were just gonna eat in the room. They would eat cans of tuna fish and dried boxes of cereal and peanut butter on crackers, that this was going to be their feasting for the week. Tim said that when they got there, the hotel and the blue water of the ocean was incredible to behold. And he said the most painful thing in the world is right outside the elevators is that there were these big open doors where you could see all of the amazing food of the restaurant and everybody in there laughing and just having a fantastic time. And they would go and they would retreat to their room and they would eat their, their cans of tuna fish and their crackers with peanut butter. Well, they got to the last day when they were getting ready to check out early the next morning. And the person at the front desk said, Mr. Irwin, is there a way that we could schedule you for a reservation for breakfast the next morning? And he talked about how that they had an early flight and he didn't think so. And she said that was such a shame because the food was inclusive with the room. And he leaned in and he was like, what? She's like, yes, of course. All of your meals were included with what you've already paid. Tim couldn't believe it, that here they were on this incredible vacation, eating miserly out of a blue suitcase, when huge buffets and gourmet meals were available to them. If they had only tapped into that power, they already had it. They just weren't using it. My friends, there is a lack of depth in the gospel today. And many people that I know who call themselves Christians 
fail to tap into the true power of the riches and the glorious inheritance. Like little Addie, we have a mindset of scarcity. Like Han Solo, we may think that we have to smuggle through this life. Like the Irwins, they may think that all that they have is what they can carry, what they can provide on their own. And yet the love of God is so much bigger than that. It's not about fame and fortune, but it is an invitation, an incredible invitation about being included in a new kind of family that will endure into eternity, that will inspire us and others to be able to live with the depth of the gospel. We've talked a lot in the last seven months or so about essential workers. And people have asked me a lot of questions about the church and is it open, is it not open? What are we doing, what are we not doing? My friends, the work of the church is an essential service to this community and this world. And the reason that I can say that with conviction is because what we do at the church is we share and show and demonstrate and inhabit the very love of God. And I believe that we will not find any peace in our time until we tap into that power into the love of God. It's almost like we as a society are eating out of that blue suitcase as opposed to feasting on what God has in store for us. You know, for us here at, at Peachtree, this is the time of year and the season where we talk about making our plans and our dreams and looking ahead to the year that is to come. And I know that this has been a year of great uncertainty. And yet God's reliability, as we've talked about this fall, is available to each and every one of us in the midst of that uncertainty. We've also now been talking about the unity and the peace that is found only through God. You know, this thing that you received in the mail, if you're a part of Peachtree, this pledge card that is a part of the mailing that came with us, our theme this year is so that Christ may dwell from this very scripture that God's love takes root deep into your heart and into mine. We need to help our community to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And we can do that if we pull together the resources that God has entrusted to us. No, I'm not worried about the church. But what I do want to do is to mobilize the church, to call all of us, including myself, to think deeply and sacrificially about what we could do together in the next year. This is an incredible kingdom opportunity for us to move ahead. And when you turn in an estimate of giving card, it enables us to be able to think and pray and work on a ministry action plan that helps us to be faithful with the resources that are entrusted to us of what we might be able to do in God's kingdom. I wanna put this slide back up on the screen for a moment. I want you to think about the many dimensions of the love of God that have been available to you and to me. Wide enough to include, long enough to endure, high enough to inspire, deep enough to empower. I'll bet each and every one of you know one of those dimensions of the love of God 
even if you don't call yourself a Christian, even if you're new to this broadcast or to this community or this family of faith. But what I'll tell you is it is so big, it is so vast, we can scarcely take it in. But it all also calls forth from us our very best. And so let me lead us in a word of prayer. Our gracious and heavenly Father, thank you for the mind-bending, imagination-blowing scope of your great love. Thank you, God, for inspiring each and every one of us throughout the generations to, in our moment in time, to continue the journey and the investment of what it means to tap into your great power and to share that love with others, not only in this church, not only in this community, but around the world. Lord, for the faithfulness of the people who are listening to this broadcast and who, who are a part of this family of faith. Lord, I pray for new people to step forward and people who haven't filled out estimates of giving to do so and to join with us in the partnership. I pray that for those of us who are rooted and established in this community that we might think deeply about taking another step of faith. Lord, this is a pivotal time in our community and in our country. And I ask that we, as your church, will continue to present and share the love of God with all that we are and all that we can be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.